All right, we're recording. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of Where It Went Podcast, where we are examining the Revelation Records catalog chronologically from Warzone to whatever they release next. <laughs> and uh, Examining, scrutinizing, perhaps. <laughs> so uh, today's episode is on the uh, sixth release on Revelation, uh, No for an Answer, You Laugh EP, the first West Coast signing. And we have a special guest today, drummer Casey Jones. We sat, we talked to Casey and uh, I think it was a really neat, fun convo. And anybody that's a fan of just West Coast hardcore, even just hardcore in general, will enjoy this interview. Don't you yeah. think, Tom? Yeah, this was a great interview, man. Like, when we first started doing this podcast, I kind of wasn't really expecting to talk to anybody. You know, we always said that it would be cool if we could get interviews, but now we're on episode seven, including our first episode. We've gone through six records. And we've got to talk to members of Gorilla Biscuits. We've got to talk to fucking Sammy and now Casey Jones. And I think that it's just, man, it's just so cool that we get to talk to the people who were there about the records and not just me and you fucking nerding out for an hour about the record. Like it adds a real layer that I just, I'm super happy to be a part of. I agree. And then you can go back and, and, like you said, with side by side, and you can kind of listen to it with a new appreciation of the record. And like, you know, the fact that we get to talk to these people from the bands, like if we did a podcast about Metallica, you know, we're not going to get to talk to Metallica. Right. This is one of the other cool things about hardcore is that like everybody's that we've reached out to has been more than willing to talk. And, um, you know, we got more stuff coming, but we like to keep it all a surprise. Yeah. And I, it's cool because you listen to these records growing up, you know, maybe your whole adult life. And then someone in the band tells you a little piece of shinfo about the band. And you're like, what, what the fuck? I didn't know that. And that's fucking cool. And that happened on this interview. We heard something about no for an answer about the person who replaced Casey as drummer, which I didn't fucking know. And I didn't either dude. And that was a huge uh, bombshell for me. So let's get into this interview, hear what he has to say, and then let's talk about it afterwards. Have fun. It's a new one. All right, everyone. We're here today with Casey Jones, the drummer of many Orange County hardcore bands. And specifically today, we're going to talk about the No For An Answer you laughed seven inch, but before we get into that, I kind of just wanted to know about um, your uh, transition from Justice League, where that came out in like '86, to then two years later, the You Laugh Seven Inch comes out on Rev. So why don't you just kind of walk us through a little bit of the history from Justice League to No For an Answer? All right, sure. Um, thanks again for having me. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I sang in Justice League, um, and a actually, the way that it sort of transitioned to drums and No For An Answer, I guess, comes from the band before that, which is my first band. Uh, it's called Just Because, and the the drummer for Just Because uh, was the son of another drummer, 
and and so his his dad was a polka drummer they had a basement in orange kind of filled with different odds and ends and old drums kind of broken down sets and so he gave me like a spare kit and i just started practicing whenever i could in the garage like when my mom was at work and so that was pre-justice league and then uh when i was out of just because got into justice league i i think i pretty much i don't remember it's been a long time but uh I, I think i stopped playing drums at that point or at least get, you know didn't practice that much and focused real hard on justice league uh and then we put out the the one album shattered dreams with me on it um and you know that was a great experience a lot of fun um really good guys i still talk to a couple of them you know to this day we're all still friends uh and then, yeah, so the, the transition there was uh, I, I left Justice League actually before they went on a U.S. tour. Um, I, I don't know that they had a, you know, a constant tour, like a, a lineup, but I, I know they played set shows with Seven Seconds and Dag Nasty and Descendants and all these bands. I'm not sure who they actually were on tour with, but I actually left before that tour. And then I think at the time I thought I wanted to go to college or something dumb. I really wish I regret that. I wish I would have gone on, on that tour. Uh, you know, it was probably just junior college or something at that time. But but yeah, so I left um, and then I'm guessing got back into drums then because that would have been late 86. And I think we started No For An Answer around late 86 or early 87 probably. And at that point, um, we none of us had really been in bands um well that's not true so there was uh there was this little band we did in in the same practice space in anaheim that we we used to practice you no know, for an answer in the beginning um i forget the name of it is over by anaheim stadium but the band was called no doubt and it's not the no not doubt the that, yeah <laughs> not, not that no doubt but it was actually before that no doubt but not by much and it was uh, it was the first band I'd ever played drums in, and I used the term "played," you know, very loosely here because we were just really none of us knew what we were doing. But it was me, uh, John Bruce, who was in like Half Off, I think, and he was just kind of an old OC guy. He played bass. Pat Reinstaff, who was a uh, he was like up from Salinas area. He's a guy I met. He was in a band up there called Death Trap. He played guitar, and then. Uh, a singer that I don't know played in any other bands, this guy Kovas, uh, he sang. That band was short-lived, and then we trans transitioned. I think Dan said that he was starting a project, and could I play drums? And, you know, Gavin was in it. I had known Gavin for years. Well, well actually, Dan, too. Um, uh, Gavin used to paint all of our leather jackets, and, he, you know, he was an old-school guy from the scene, um, did a lot of the artwork and stuff for bands. And so, uh, yeah, so, so that project, you know, was ended up becoming no for an answer. So a lot of the reviews that I see for the, you know, the, you laugh seven inch, um, you know, reviews of that time, you know, from when it was new mention youth of today comparisons to youth of today, how, how important was you know, youth of today and that whole, like the whole youth crew sound to know for an answer. Was it something like when you said Dan wanted to start this project, was it set out? Cause you know how kids are. We're like, Hey, let's start a band that sounds like youth of today, or let's start a band that sounds like 
you know, SSD or whatever? Right. Like, was it a conscious thing to have that youth of today influence? Which I hear a little bit of, but not, it's not like an overt, you know, copy or anything like that. Yeah, that, that's an interesting comparison to me and, and probably one that I, I honestly wouldn't draw. Um, I, I don't know at the time, you know, I, I don't remember reading similar re reviews or anything. When, when Youth of Today came out here for that first tour, uh, I was super into them, you know, saw the, the shows that they played locally um, and, and became friends with Ray from that point. Uh, we traded records and he was living with, I think, the, the guys over at Positive Force in Reno for a while after that. Um, and, and so, you know, we were definitely all into them and, and maybe for the other guys, you know, that could have been a pursuit. I don't, I don't think it would have been for Gavin. He, you know, he's got his influences go way back. Uh, he wrote all the music for that. And so I don't, I, I think, you know, his probably would have been a hodgepodge for me. I just wanted to play as fast as fucking possible. Um, you know, like Dirty Rotten LP fast um you know that that was you know to me it was just unique and i didn't really you know I, I i'm sure i was influenced by a lot of bands but i just wanted to play as fast as possible yeah it's funny you say that because last week i was talking to igby and uh -huh. he brought up jeff boetto who yeah. was the original bass player no for answer right and he told me that Jeff was a little bummed on how fast the songs on the seven inch were played because he had written some of them and he was like, this is too fast for me. And so that's one of the reasons why he left no for an answer. So yeah. Wow. You're, I mean, my memory is not the greatest, but I, I don't remember. I know Jeff, of course. Um, I don't remember being in the band with him. Um, and so yeah I, yeah I don't maybe the timing was just a little off or maybe I was and sorry to Jeff but I just can't remember being practicing in the same room but you know Gavin and I have played in tons of bands um that was that, that being the first and at that point you know when we were younger and a little more agile I think we were just trying to play faster than the other guy <laughs> just yeah. ramped up I would imagine but uh yeah, I, I, I honestly just remember playing with John. Yeah, you know, um, Orange County has and still does have kind of a, I don't want to say a stigma, but like it's known for melodic hardcore. Yeah. And especially, you know, Unity, Uniform Choice. So this sure. is predating uh, No For An Answer just a little bit. And so I can see why you would want to take that, you know, some of those melodies, but then turn it up, like crank everything up, make it a little bit faster. Some of the scissor beats, some of the like more brutality and you got no for an answer. Yeah. Like I, it, to me, it has the West coast sound, but also, and I think that's maybe when people are com were comparing to youth of today, I think it's more saying that this has a bit of an East coast sound as well as West coast. It's like a nice melding of, of both styles. Well, you, you know, Javier, you threw out uh, UC, we were all extremely influenced by Uniform Choice. Like it, me, especially, that was probably, I saw that band more than any other band I've ever seen, to, even until now, besides maybe a band I've been in. But, um, you know, so I, I would say, you know, if there had to be an influence, it would, it would probably be Uniform Choice. 
like a so, like a single you know solid influence on all of us that would have been the band but otherwise we were all kind of from all over the map yeah it seems like uniform choice uh especially on the west coast we're just this massive uh you know massive thing for a lot of people in the hardcore scene in like the early mid 80s um like their their influence you know can't be overstated that's um, a good way to put it they, you know, were, because they were just massive here well and i would say i'd clarify that like within this kind of hardcore slash straight edge scene because at that time we didn't really have like straight edge shows or you know this show or that show like i guess since you know in the years after there were it was just punk shows and then so uc was like the straight edge band on the bill if they were playing with you know youth brigade and mia or whatever and then um a lot of us that were especially like straight edge kids at the time you know we we all just were just you know like i could have imagined it being you know for ssd in boston in 81 or 82 or something just this hardcore following that was uc on the in orange county yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a huge I'm a huge Uniform Choice fan. I could probably do just a podcast just talking about that first record. But um, well, speaking of of West Coast, you know, like we talked about before, you know, recording this is that No for an Answer. It's the sixth release on Revelation, yeah. but it's also notable in that it's the first West Coast signing. Everything else was either you know the compilation with all East Coast bands or you know just East Coast bands. How did how did you get in contact with Revelation? And were you, like, I guess at that point, you guys were aware of their existence. They'd had five releases. Um, you know, so how did that all come into play? So that, that wasn't my doing uh, either. That, that would have been Dan. Um, he was kind of the go-getter in that band. And, you know, if there were shows to be, you know, some, you know, contact a promoter or like getting on Rev or getting the recording going. I think that was all Dan. Gavin, you know, he handled all the art stuff. I just kind of, you know, what do I know? I'm the drummer. But yeah, Dan, uh, Dan would have been in touch. That, that would have been before I even knew Jordan. Um, and so, you know, Dan uh, hooked, hooked all that up. And I think he was um, probably more in touch with Ray at that point than I was, um, you know, so I, I don't know if Ray was still involved with the label by then, but um, I'm sure, you know, he, he helped put that together too. So I'm sorry, I can't give you more info on that, but I, if I was involved again, it's just goes back too far and I don't remember, you know, pulling those strings, but. It seems like back then a lot of stuff too just kind of happened, especially, you know, with the label like Revelation at that point was, new it happens pretty organically right like yeah. nowadays of course i'm sure they'd you know have to sign you know contracts and things like that just because that's the way things are in 2020 right back then it was probably nothing more than like capo or or jordan saying like hey you guys are cool can i do a record and that was it i'm sure that's what it was i know you know i know by the time you know later like ignite days there was contracts and everything um but yeah, no for an answer. I'm sure you're right. I don't, I don't remember signing a contract if there was. I mean, Rev is still the only label that I, you know, have been on that pays royalties, you know, on the like clockwork. You know, they're just, they're good to all their people and always have been. Um, but if, if it was on a handshake, um, that very well could have been. 
That would make sense. And like, you know, one of the things about Revelation that we talked about um, in previous episodes is a lot of these releases are still in print, um, which is like you said, good for the bands because then they can, you know, they'll get, uh, you know, the deserved royalties. Whereas a lot of labels, they let the stuff go out, like out of print. And then of course it's not selling no royalties. Um, and, you know, like I'm holding a copy of the no for an answer seven inch that is a newer pressing, you know, that it's, it's still in print. You can still buy it, which is good. Cause for kids, you know, getting into hardcore and stuff, it's an easy way to hear these older releases without having to pay, you know, an arm and a leg. So I'm, I'm really with you on that. I love that Rev has done that. Um, especially for people that, uh, you know, still, or even newly are into vinyl. Um, I was a fanatical record collector when I was a kid. Um, you know, especially when I discovered hardcore, you know, I had to have every color and every pressing and a uh, discord and, you know, exclaim and everything else and test pressings and, um, man, how I wish I still had all that stuff. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm, I agree with your point that by doing that, you know, right now, um, if you want some of those early releases, like if you want a, a necro seven inch, there's no re-release of that that I'm aware of. Uh, and so you got to pay five or 600 bucks on eBay, I'm sure to, to get that and have the vinyl. But this way, the, the way that Rev's done it, you know, you can, you can keep buying all that. And that's really cool. And, you know, good for the artists too. You know, one of the things that I think is super interesting about this seven inch is that it says that it was produced by Ron Martinez. Uh, oh, I've, Vinyl Conflict. Yeah, Vinyl Ronflict. I've known Ron for years and years and he's such a fucking rad dude. So was, and Final Conflict was already a little bit more established by then. So how did that come about working with him? And it says that it was recorded at Spot is that the same spot that had to do with like SST and Black Flag and all that? Ugh, wow. Um, no, this is David Corey at yeah, Spot. At spot so recording. I so yeah. I know it's not like the spot, right, like the guy's spot, his... but was it his studio? Yeah, I, maybe. I don't know. Um, in fact, I, I remember a lot of the studios that I recorded in, but that one I don't really remember. I'm I, pretty sure it was in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Um, I barely remember going there. I remember, you know, remember a few things from the, you know, the recording, but I, I don't know. And Ron, you know, Ron from Final Conflict, he was around, he was a couple years older than me, I think. And he had been in Final Conflict, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying about, you know, um, I, I don't know if we were, it was in our sort of pre-discussion or when we were talking about punk versus hardcore. He was like, you know, primary punk rock band like they were you know yeah. mohawks and spikes yeah. and everything and they'd be playing with a you know straight edge band or whatever they practiced there was a place called uh, dead zone in santa Ana, where final conflict would be this would be all in one night like final conflict would be in one room my band just because would be in another room uh uniform choice or unity would be in another room like they, and you know just all those bands at that place so um yeah uh, Ron was really involved in everything and, and uh, ha- has remained so, you know, throughout the years. Yeah, I totally agree. Ron, uh, when I was coming, this is a little bit tangential, but like the 
early 2000s metalcore scene in Orange County. He was booking at Chain Reaction at that time. And he's the reason why all those bands got to play there. So, you know, he's influenced so many generations of hardcore and, and kind of going back to what you were saying with punk and hardcore, like those bands would share bills at the time too, right? Yeah. You had to, I mean, there wasn't, (laughs) there wasn't really enough like quote unquote straight edge bands to have a show if you wanted to have four or five bands on the bill, at least not in this area. Um, and then, so that's why, you know, like all the Fender shows and Olympic Auditorium, Cafe, all those places, they were all mixed bills. So you played on the seven inch, but you yeah. didn't play on the No For An Answer 12 inch. So how long between those, did you play with the band? Like, were you around for the reception of the seven inch? The seven inch comes out, you play some shows or did you kind of move on and do other stuff and not really get to see what your the fruits of your labor had produced yes i think the latter so i got the boot um Mm. they went through several drummers after me um my my, uh, good friend of mine quinn from high school he was a rockabilly drummer um they had him for a while uh i think zach uh from rage was in the band he played drums after me for a little bit uh yeah uh wow (laughs) and um i think um you know they eventually i think chris bratton played on the album i'm not mistaken i don't know that was after me i i i have never really heard the album (laughs) the whole way through um i had to learn a couple of songs from it for the these like reunions that we've played um the rev 25 thing that we did and then um you guys know about the john bunch yeah, yeah, I was Memorial there. It was fucking awesome. Did. Yeah, so, you know, aside from those couple of songs, uh, for the, oh, we did a, a benefit once for a boxer, maybe, at, at Chain Reaction, uh, like a No For An Answer original set. That was, I think that was the first time we had all got back together since the original formation of the band. Um, Dan has always been really into boxing, and he, he, uh, he promoted this, uh, like a like a benefit. Maybe a, a guy had Parkinson's or something. It's been a long time, but we played. Uh, Carrie Nation played some songs in the middle of our set, uh, and then so yeah. Getting back to the point, that's when I I learned some of those songs from the album. But otherwise, I'd I'd never heard it, and I I still don't think I've heard the whole thing cover to cover. Um, and then you actually made a new No for an Answer seven inch like just a few years ago, right? Yeah, that was in maybe 2012 or yeah. somewhere around there. It was like around um, the time of Rev 25, I think. Okay, yeah. So that was super fun. Um, and, and that was, that actually might have been right around the time we did that, um, that thing at the at Chain Reaction, the, the show even. We, we uh, you know, because we had a lot of fun at the show, and then I just kind of got a call out of the blue. Hey, do you want to do a seven-inch? I'm like, sure. I was working not too far away from the, the studio that we recorded at. Was this amazing spread in Irvine? I don't know what the deal was, but it was like some kind of a skateboard outfit or some people that had a lot of money, and they had a really nice recording studio. They had like these super big-screen video like video game screens in one room and these like, you know, juice bars and 
it was this crazy like layout I remember and they just gave us time in this studio it was some entrepreneur that owned all this stuff and so we went in there and we just banged out these four songs I think we did two or three of them in one take like that that was it we got the whole thing done and I don't know an hour or two um, as far as the recording of all of us in fact we recorded the music I think before Dan even showed up um, or was it John somebody was it was probably John knowing John he was late and I think we we tracked the the guitar and the drums without him even being there or something it was it was funny I remember at the time but uh, that that was probably right around the time and then ever since then when we've done these you know reunions or when there was an opportunity you know like like well like the bunch show um, when it seemed right to get the guys together then that was the lineup the, the go-to lineup and that um, seven inch came out on TKO records and okay. had the it had man against man on it which uh, was a, a live track on one of the nemesis live records and then also was recorded by ignite so I think this is the first recording studio recording of no for an answer doing that song which is a fucking awesome song like everybody loves that song that was like always a way to get the crowd pumped and i know that me and greg have talked about that you know with each other yeah i love the ignite that was my first exposure was the ignite like the bonus track i think on call my brother's cd mm -hmm. or something yeah yeah so so no for an answer is kind of a a, a funny song or, or it has like like long origins it, it goes back to I'm pretty sure Foster, Joe Foster wrote that song. Yeah. And uh, I didn't even know if he was in No For An Answer. Um, he wasn't when I was in the band anyway, but he he wrote that song. It ended up being known as a No For An Answer song. So maybe he just gave it to Dan or something. I'm not sure how it um, transitioned if, if Foster wasn't in that band. Um, but right. So, so my first exposure to it because I had never done enough for an answer reunion or anything yet when, by the time Ignite started in 93. And so that was kind of a staple. We always played that song. And kind of a funny story was one time we played it in, I think we were playing with BI maybe in Fullerton in this like warehouse and Dan was gonna come up and sing it with us. And so we were like, yeah, cool. You know, that's, that's awesome. You know, cause it, we got, you know, I knew it was a no for an answer song at that time, but I had never played it when I was a no for an answer. Um, you know, going back to like when the seven inch came out and um, when I, by the time I got out of the band, I had only played a, a couple of shows We played at Fenders. I remember with like Scream and Uniform Choice. Um, and well, now that I th think of it, that's bookends for that band. Uh, with for me as opening for screen because at the the bunch memorial which is the last time we played I'm guessing yeah. will probably be the last time we do play screen played right after us oh that's crazy um, yeah I love anyway, scream that's great scream is one of my <laughs> favorite all-time hardcore bands ever uh, and so um, at this show Dan came up and sang it but we played it so differently evidently than they did on the record that he just kept getting messed up in the song and like i only knew it one way which is the way that ignite did it and dan just kept messing up and i think he got frustrated and finally like dropped the mic or something like that but <laughs> that was at that show and then when we would do it for these no for an answer shows like that chain reaction thing and the the rev thing 
I had to learn it the way No Prayer Answer did it because there was no da- way Dan was going to, you know, sing it how the Ignite version. Yeah. And it was really hard, I remember, for me on drums because I had played that song, you know, a couple of hundred times at shows with Ignite. And so I had to kind of unlearn that and do it the other way. But yeah, that's a good song. I, I yeah, like it. that's and awesome. Yeah, I think you're right that that It Makes Me Sick record would have been the first time that it was recorded in the studio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of going full circle, what I find neat with that, you know, It Makes Me Sick 7-inch is that it's the same lineup as this first 7-inch. It's kind of a nice way to tie everything together. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I remember the first time around for the 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 You Laugh 7-inch, it seemed like it was, I mean, maybe this is just me remembering sort of, you know, a little bit, you know, harshly, you know, being, you know, out of the band. And at the time, I really wanted to be in a band and everything. And it seemed like there was more tension and stress and direction. And we got to do this and we got to accomplish that. And those guys did a ton for, for hardcore, in my opinion. You know, No For Answer ended up, for, for being a West Coast band, they, they ended up being at that time when the 7 Inch was out. And I don't know when the album came out, but maybe, you know, for that period, like late 80s. Um, they were one of the only bands from around here that did a lot on the East Coast. You know, they were big at CBGBs and, you know, played, um, you know, those shows back there. Whereas, you know, not that bands from out here didn't go play in the back East, but um, then maybe Chain of Strength, I think, you know, did a lot um, in New York City and around. But I think that I think that No For An Answer really had a lot of direction and drive. And well, that was a whole different you know, element, because when we did the It Makes Me Sick thing, it was just four dudes that have known each other forever, just getting back together to make a hardcore record. And it was really fun, really fun. The, the um, like, in the, there was no pressure or anything in the studio, like I feel like there was, even maybe during You Laugh, when, um, you know, we got to put out a great hardcore record, and, you know, half of us didn't even know how to play. And uh, <laughs> this time, it was just a lot of fun. Okay, so one of the things we do in our in our interviews and in every interview we have is we talk about hot tracks on the on the record in question. So it'd be like a favorite track, either one you just think was your favorite to play or just your favorite in general from uh, you know this release. You laugh. So what would your hot track be, Casey, if you had to pick one? <laughs> so I I think I'd have to go with without a reason. On, on that um yeah yeah that's definitely my favorite song on that record uh you know what's interesting is that's also my hot track for this record right. and i think because me me personally I, i'm so attached to the full length and there's a like kind of different sounding version of without a reason on the full length so to hear this version it's like a demo version of it and it's like oh, yeah. a little bit more raw but like the chorus for that and the punches on that song are just like so powerful and i've just i've just always fucking loved that song too so that's also my hot track for the US. Oh, very cool it's, yeah. it's it's cool that it's like um you know it's like a could be considered like a straight edge song yes. but it actually is a little more specific in talking about drunk driving yeah um, which is still like you know a pertinent subject of course you know 35 years later or whatever of course. um 
Now, my hot track, I'm, I, I'm always the different. Am I always the different one, Hav, or sometimes? I don't, yeah, I don't think that we have the same hot track yet at all. <laughs> yeah, I, don't think we have I don't think we ever will. It's awesome. <laughs> Mine is the title track. Um, I love, uh, you know, I love straight edge songs, but I love really? how almost like over the top it is in the best way. Like, you know, that break where it's, how could you possibly think that it was safe? With self-induced diseases all over the place, casual sex has taken thousands of lives. The sense of being used is warping people's minds. Like <laughs> that's pretty hard, and yeah. uh, it's just a cool break. And it's like it's a very like East Coast meets West Coast sounding song. Like that break is. I think uh, it sounds like something that Choke would have said. Like Choke yeah. standing on stage with like a hockey stick, you know, saying those same fucking words. So that yeah, definitely that's is a hard. I, it's a hard song. It is. I, I, I love that. Like that to me is like, that's like hardcore mix worthy. Like you're making a mix of like 80s hardcore. You got to put that song on there. I mean, that, that would absolutely be, if not tied for first without a reason, that would be a, a very, very close second. Um, I, just for me, they're the most fun to play. They're, they're the fastest. It seemed like, I mean, they're all really fast, but, uh, but yeah, without a reason, I, I think just that the build, it just, builds 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 and then bam super that that opening baseline is always really cool to me uh and then break in the middle yeah just everything about it i love playing it yeah like the seven inches uh you know to, to kind of wrap up what we were saying too about the east coast west coast it's very punk which is a good thing um like even down to the cover like looking at the cover like you have the X tan on the guitar, but it's like yeah. got all the stickers. Like it just, it's, it's really way less like clean cut than maybe what people would have expected from revelation, at least at that time. Yeah. I don't, I don't know when the whole sort of youth crew thing started and the kind of more uniform polished look and sound everything, but I'm, I'm guessing that was either before it or we ignored it. I, I would blame probably bold and chain of strength for that that uniform okay but, uh, love chain, both yes same <laughs> and i wear the uniform you know i, I had actually uh, i i kind of took a little break after no for an answer and i i didn't i didn't play really until ignite you know what was that like five six years later yeah um so i missed a lot of those bands i don't i don't know that i ever saw chain of strength the first time around you know i, I saw them Ryan invited us to some reunion they did um, at a really cool old club in LA, by the way. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, no for an answer though was very raw at the time and not polished. I don't, I don't, I don't think, you know, Dan's a real sort of well-read, um, you know, interesting guy. He's been a friend for a long time, but I would never call him youth crew or polished in any way. Yeah. And sadly, I think that that's why, like when I was younger and, you know, we'll, we'll chat about that more too later, <laughs> but when I was younger, no for an answer. And maybe it's cause I'm on the East coast. Oh. I didn't get into this until probably later on because I was for better or worse. So into that idea of, you know, this is how straight edge band sounds. This is how they look. This is how the cover should look. You know, I was a teenager. So this was like, Oh, this is a little like, like I said, like punk, you know, cut and paste looking almost. Yeah, like, I could see that. And uh, yeah, I, I was more like a flyer that yeah. that, that uh, seven inch cover. 
um, which is still really cool to me when I look back at a lot of that, you know, the record covers from the time, I, I kind of dig that one, just all, like all of our guitars and my drum kit and everything, that's how they looked. They were just blasted with stickers of all the bands we were into. Yeah. And it didn't matter, you know, if it was like the right bands, you know, the right stickers, it's <laughs> just whatever you like. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man, Casey, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us about this. Um, you know, growing up here in Orange County, I'll, I'll fucking talk about Orange County hardcore till the cows come home. And um, hey, we, yeah, will, you guys. we will be hitting you back up for a future release on Rev, the uh, Ignite, maybe for every Ignite record, we could talk to you and then somebody else in the band. Um, yeah, but, the, the two are past our means and... Uh, calling my brother's reissue so yeah I'd, I'd be happy to help yeah I, I really enjoyed talking to you guys thank you awesome thank you Thanks, seriously So we just heard from Casey Jones, the drummer on the ULAF 7-inch. What a fucking cool experience interviewing that guy. Yeah, great guy. Thanks again to him for uh, coming on and chatting with us. Yeah, you know, uh, I was at Ignite's first show uh, that he mentioned in there, and I got to see Ignite play so many times with Casey solid drummer i got to see the no for an answer reunion that he played at the john bunch memorial um and dude fucking still had it still sounded awesome and i i think you know in talking about the seven inch that they made when they came back and then playing a couple shows you know he they haven't made kind of a second career out of being a reunion band they just came in they did a couple other things because they love hardcore, because they had friends that needed help or whatever, and they still love what they're doing, and that's fucking inspirational to me. Yeah, it's it's cool, and like, um, you know, I'll I'll admit, like, I knew Casey because of Ignite. Um, you know, we talked off interview about Ignite, but we're gonna save more Ignite talk for when we do past our means, and then calling my brother's reissue, which Casey said. Uh, he's going to come back and, you know, maybe we can get some more uh, Ignite members on there too. But, um, you know, with No For An Answer, I I was like today years old when I knew that they did a seven inch in 2011. I had <laughs> no idea. <laughs> like like when you said, <laughs> you were tell, messaging me like, yeah, hey, ask about the seven inch. I'm like, what seven inch? Like, I didn't even know. But, yeah. but I think that's kind of a testament to how like, DIY and like like it wasn't this big production of like we got a new seven inch and it wasn't plastered all over the place with you know it was just kind of like came out and um yeah they only made 500 copies TKO records I actually really kind of only knew TKO records because they had a record store they had a physical store in Fountain Valley which then moved to Huntington Beach and I shopped there all the time for records it's fucking awesome and 
I know that it's a, a longstanding punk label and it's more known for punk and street punk and stuff like that, but they had a hand in making this. And like we said, it had the original lineup or the, the same lineup as the first seven inch recorded on this seven inch, which is fucking cool too. Yeah. And like, like, like we said in the interview, it kind of brought everything full circle. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, Casey talked about how he wasn't on the um, no for an answer LP uh, thought crusade which was on Hawker Records, which yeah. I believe wasn't Hawker, like a subs- a subsidiary or Roadrunner or became Roadrunner or something like that. I legit, I don't know. And I'm okay with admitting that. I know that there was some, you know, weirdness in the early 90s or late 80s about Hawker kind of, yeah, being similar to like in effect where maybe it was bigger owned by a major and people took offense to that and they didn't want them like infiltrating the hardcore scene. But um, Hawker also did the free for all comp, which no friend answer has at least a couple live tracks on. And I don't know what else. Token Hawker- entry, token entry. Well, there which you go. Is, I love token entry. I- um, you know, so they're on there, but I'm sure we'll get somebody telling us all about Hawker and all the facts we got wrong, but yeah, hey, whatever. I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't learn that in school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess let's, let's talk a little bit about our personal connection to no for an answer. I'm yeah. going to defer to you first. You're the oh, orange shit. county guy. Okay. So this is a fucking weird story that have how my like other parts of my life are kind of intertwined and connected to no for an answer, not necessarily the band itself, but just listening to no for an answer in 1994, my parents decided to move to central California about five hours away to a small town. Orange County was just, it's, it's fucking hard to live here, man. It's really expensive. It's like, you know, the land of competition, the orange curtain, it's, it's not a very forgiving place here. So they decided to pack it up, move north. And I had a friend tell me, you can come live with me and my mom, finish out junior and senior year of high school, and just fucking stay with us. That friend's name was Steve Aoki, who, you know, went on to be DJ Kid Millionaire, superstar, but he was a fucking hardcore kid. He, uh, we grew up going to hardcore shows, he has a Gorilla Biscuits tattoo. I mean, that dude, when we were teenagers, he fucking loved hardcore. And so it was me and Steve's mom and Steve in this house, this big house in Newport Beach. And then for a while, his grandpa, Ojichan, came to live with us. And somehow it turned into my job to take Ojichan to the horse racing track in Los Alamitos. And so I would just drive him there, sit in the VIP box with him, and I would bring a backpack with my Walkman and some zines. And I listened to the fuck out of No For An Answer, a Thought Crusade on cassette. Like I just listened to that fucking record over and over and over again. And I had come to find No For An Answer through 411, which was Dan O'Mahony's band after No For An Answer. And I found 411, from the New Deal Skateboards video 1281, there's two parts on that video that have 411 songs. That's Ed Templeton and Mike Vallely. It's kind of at the end of the video. And I remember there's this like scene where he does a, goes down a handrail and a 411 song starts. And so all of the skaters around me 
new 411 from that and then you know just go into the record store it's like oh this is the same guy in that band and so i just i came to love no for an answer that way and i think at that time so this is like 94 95 even by 93 the seven inch was a little bit hard to find and i didn't have a copy it was already one of those ones where you had to get it off the wall or you had to get it to someone so i didn't hear the seven inch at first and when i finally did hear the seven inch i was like this doesn't sound like thought crusade this doesn't sound like the song on the fucking nemesis live comp it's way more primitive uh the scissor beats it sounds different, you know, it's, it's got similar threads, but uh, to me, it's not as maybe refined as the 12-inch. So I came to really, really love the 12-inch and, and not the 7-inch. And it wasn't until years later that I got an appreciation for the 7-inch, but I still hold the 12-inch in a little bit of more of like um, a personal favorite regard. So that's my long story about how I came to be in love with... Uh, no for an answer nice steve aoki yeah, i've heard of him before yeah he's, it's he, funny he like, was on a, a commercial for uh tiktok that the kids yeah. were watching i was like that's steve aoki on the tv yeah, my my son knows who he is you know from youtube and and shit like that and i have does he think you're cool that you lived with him so my kids, they do know that I grew up with Steve and they do think that it's fucking weird and cool and awesome. And I haven't spoken to Steve in well over a decade. I'm like not currently friends with him. Uh, I actually have another Steve Aoki story that we'll get to in a couple episodes. That's funny and weird and stupid, but uh, on my end, but I'm not, I don't want to front like I'm, you know, BFFs with Stevie Oka or anything. We did grow up. We did live with each other, but we we just we grew apart. I'm sure there's some hardcore lyrics in there that could pertain to it. And <laughs> but yeah, my my two two of my kids they do think that it is really cool that I knew Stevie Oki. That's so funny. Yeah. Um. So for me, this was one of those like we talked about maybe with you. Like this is my side by side. I think that's the best way I can mm. put it. Like this record was not one that was essential when I was getting into hardcore. It's not starter pack hardcore by any means. It's not, um, you know, I didn't know anybody that listened. And then when I was, you know, really getting into revelation, this was reissued in 97. They had that uh, reissue campaign where they did, I believe it was no for an answer, sick of it all and side by side. They did those reissue packages. And I remembered hearing maybe one song on this seven inch. And I was like, eh, not really into it. And I kind of just like put it on the back burner. Um, because again, they didn't really, you know, we touched on it in the interview with Casey. Like I was so deeply entrenched in like cookie cutter for better or worse, like straight edge hardcore, mm. which I still, you know, that's the stuff I love that I think I didn't necessarily give this a fair shake because it didn't really fit that mold. The cover, like we talked about, it's way more like punk looking. Um, so it, it wasn't, and again, it wasn't just something my friends weren't talking about it when I was coming up. So it wasn't until later that I gave them a listen and um, I enjoy this record. Uh, you know, I think it's a really good record. Um, 
I don't think that, you know, when we, I know we always talk about whether essential, is it essential? No. Um, but it's a really good record. Uh, the LP I just heard for the first time, like two days ago from you and the LP is superior. It, like it just, it seems like everything is kind of like ramped up, uh, you know, recording wise, songwriting wise, et cetera. Um, and I, I also think part of the reason I didn't maybe get as into them was the interview with Dan in the all ages book. I remember just being like, ah, oh, this is kind of like, this guy's a little rough around the edges and uh, you know, I, I, it could be any reason or none of those reasons, but now I'll, I'll say I'm a fan. Um, like I said, I would put the title track on a mix of like essential, you know, eighties hardcore, but as a whole, the record, it's really good. But again, I think you could, I wouldn't say someone's completely missing out if they never heard it. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's essential. And, I wonder if it being out of print for so many of years through both of our uh, upbringings, my upbringing and yours in two different eras, scenes, it just kind of wasn't available for a long time. And maybe that hurt, hurt its essentialness. Um, you know, you couldn't just go to the record store and pick this up for three bucks or six bucks or whatever. It was hard to find. It was hard to track down. And a thought crusade is still not on streaming you know, you either have to have MP3s of it or listen to it on YouTube or whatever. But I, man, the, the fucking completest weirdo nerd in me would love to just make a Spotify playlist that's called like Greatest Dano Tracks. And it has, you know, all the No For An Answer songs. It has all 411, Voice Box, uh, you know, Honor Speak 714, just like songs from here from every release. But y you can't do that. I'm lucky that I still have some fucking weird 160 gig iPod in my car and, <laughs> and I have all the shit loaded up. The file that I sent you, which by the way, if anyone's listening to this and uh, wants the file from me, I'll gladly email it over. But it has basically the, you know, a thought crusade. It's got the Hawker record. It's got the fucking nemesis song and then a couple other like live, live bootlegs yeah. it's, it's like fucking 40 no for an answer tracks in this in this zip file that i have and it's awesome it's just really good hardcore it's not too melodic there's some there's some stuff in towards the end of the no for an answer full length and towards like the middle of the 411 full length that are slower and he sings like he croons, he kind of belts it out. And those are probably take a little bit more, like you have to be a fan to digest those. But then there's fucking ragers on all of these records on the seven inch, on the full length, on the 411. The 411 seven inch is so fucking good. Um, so, yeah, I think his, his lyrics, like that's one thing that Casey also touched on. His lyrics are unique. And I think now, as like an adult who's listen to hardcore for you know more than you know two i don't even know what it is 75 percent of my life at this point um it's it's like well no not 75 percent. i think that would make me like 60 i don't know <laughs> it's a large percent yeah. it's a large a lot of percents uh, yeah it's a lot of percent uh his lyrics are really cool like even on the seven inch and the later stuff like this has me excited to listen to speak at one at some point because i never got into speak because i remember just being like uh 
Like I like Joe Foster. I love Ignite. Like we talked with Casey, like the Ignite stuff that Casey's on, I think is fantastic. Um, so just like you with side by side, I think this, this gave me a new appreciation for no for an answer. Um, and I'm excited to dig in a little more. So I think people will probably be like, how can you say you never heard the LP until two days ago? Well, I didn't. Never, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you like what you like. And, you know, you could say the same. Oh, Greg, you've never tried Bacardi 151? Well, no, I, I just, nobody ever gave it to me or whatever it is. You never tried kombucha? You never tried fucking polar seltzer? Well, no, I just, nobody gave me a glass of that. The same yeah, thing. Like, nobody... That's the thing. And on the East Coast, I mean, I can only speak for retroactively, not at the time, but on the east on the East Coast, people weren't talking about no for an answer in 1995, 96. Mm -hmm. Like that wasn't like the only West Coast band in the early Rev roster that was huge over here still was like Chain of Strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that was like an ascent. Like people were talking about Chain of Strength. They weren't talking about no for an answer. But now we're talking about them. Yeah. You know, one of the things I really, really, really enjoy about the seven inch is the fucking just all the black and white, super bold, like mostly black um, and the heavy use of letter set, use of rub on letters, use of stick on letters. I, I had a chance to examine this insert this week at Revelation. Igby brought it out and the amount of like, you could see where they colored it in with a Sharpie and that's almost no computer done. And a lot of that is because of Gavin Oglesby, uh, his artwork and Casey touched on that. And it's pretty well documented like in radio silence and some of the other books about how Gavin's artwork is just so iconic and influential. And I think that this layout just, you know, it, it it has his DNA all over it, and I I think it's incredibly um, inspiring for me throughout my whole life of seeing the typewriter, the rub off letters, and just you know, kind of cut and paste. It's it, it's clean, but it's not super clean. And it yeah, is, either of us could do this. We could go to Kinkos and fucking make this not as good, but we could do it. And that's a great part of hardcore. Yeah, and. And it's funny too, because now I think this layout's great, but like at the time, I remember just being like, where's the varsity font? Where's like the, you know, and like, yeah, the guy's got an X hand on the front, but like, you know, it just, it didn't, it, it didn't, it didn't grab me the way that when I saw, you know, the chain of strength record or, or bold speak out. Yeah. You know, um, that's you my own closed minded fault. You see the stickers on Gavin's guitar on the front cover, and there's like a Necro sticker, a Misfits sticker, a Final Conflict sticker, and that it, that's more punk. You don't see that stuff in the bold layout per se, or the Chain right. of Strength layout, or you know the Gorilla Biscuits layout. They are all kind of they already had this like their own bubble of their New York bands, and maybe some DC and maybe some Boston, but now you've got the kind of first wave of American punk influencing Gavin. And he's literally, and, and Casey said that on his drums, they're showing their influences on their sleeve and it's different and it's grittier. You know, Dan's got fucking these tattoos on him and a shaved head. And it, it, it I think you don't see the grittiness on 
that that it comes through on this uh, layout since maybe the Warzone seven inch where the, they were like younger punk squatter kids in New York City, and then it kind of cleans up a little bit for Gorilla Biscuits and Side by Side, and then it goes jumps back into like a little bit more of the punk aspect for No for an Answer. I yeah, it, I, I didn't think about that until now. It's one of those things too where you know it's it's I always associated the more punk sound with West Coast. Yeah. To me. Like East Coast was like the cleaned up, you know, I'm completely oversimplifying things. I'm not saying this is how it is, but at least in my mind as a teenager, that's how it was. Like the West Coast has the more like punk rock, like, you know, like this record cover. And then the East Coast is like break down the walls, you know, or whatever. Right. And, and even with the fashion and Dan kind of talks about that a little bit in the all ages book is that the East coast fashion, especially youth crew, it, it really started to be a uniform. You know, you got the big Nikes, either the fucking uh, what air force ones or Jordans and then the cargo pants and then some college shirt, some fucking like Harvard football shirt or whatever. John Jay and, wrestling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then a, a champion hoodie. Whereas over here, it's like, we're all fucking wearing low top vans and shorts and flannels and. Or just black, like black t-shirts. Yeah, I always associated black. Dan O with like black jeans and a black t-shirt and yeah. tattoos and yeah. vans. Like, and now I think that's super cool. But I guess at the time, yeah, I was like, where's the. You know, where's the Harvard shirt mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever? Like, you know, and then we all know that youth crew fashion went a bit too, probably got, you know, went a bit too far. I'm sure any of those guys associated with it will say that. Like, I don't think I'm, you know, besmirching anything. Yeah. But, um, so this was like, in a way, this record is a reaction to that. But like, like uh, Casey said, they just weren't paying attention to it. They were doing their own thing. And out there they had, you know, out here was like youth of today and stuff. And out there they had uniform choice because at that point, uniform choice, they didn't do, you know, staring into the sun wasn't released yet. So they were still, you know, the uniform choice of screaming for change, which. Yeah. So they, they kind of took like both of those, they took the uniform choice and turned it up a little bit and took some of the youth, youth of today and like the very specific things that they were talking about and they put it together. So I think that no for an answer could be considered like the perfect bridge between West coast and East coast. And then that also comes through in being the first West coast uh, rev release. So I think if you like uniform choice and you like early youth of today, especially like can't close my eyes. I think that, no for an answer you laugh is would be great for you and then maybe you could graduate onto a thought crusade <laughs> yeah no i i definitely like i said i think it's a good um mixture of east coast and west coast style um that really holds up like when i hear it now like i said i i like it more now than when i heard it in 1997 yeah so uh, I just want to give a, a bit at bow to my dude, Dave Ito for having a no for an answer guy, the I spy guy tattoo. Um, I, I love that, that, uh, that graphic. I love the shirt. I, I remember walking into Zed records and buying uh, in the, they had a $3 box at Zed records and I bought two shirts out of there, 
both on screen stars. One was a burn shirt and one was a no for an answer shirt. And it literally just was front print only. I'm sure they were bootleg, but um, those shirts were so fucking comfortable. And, you know, I had to sell them on eBay at some point. So someone out there has got my fucking screen stars. No probably for an probably shirt. Jason Mazzola has it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking oh, of graphics, yeah. bit of bow to Jason. Bit of bow, Jason Mazzola. <laughs> um, who, you know, designed by the time you see the graphic for this episode is really cool. Um, and it features the, is that called the I Spy Guy? See, I didn't even know that had a name. Uh, so the I Spy Guy is like the real big muscular guy that's like, you see his back and he's stepping up through the circle. And okay. then the other graphic, I, I assume is Dano's face pressed into a Xerox machine. And that's probably why there's the black all around it too. And then they just placed the white no for an answer logos around that. That's just what I'm, as someone who has pressed his face and other body parts on a Xerox copier many times, I think that that's how you got I thought that. you were. About, I thought you were about to say <laughs> pressed into one of those, uh, remember the things with the pins you get at Spencer Gifts where you- Oh you yeah, yeah. It? <laughs> no, it's literally just like stick your face on the glass and push the green button and you get a copy of your face. So anyway, so that, that does it for this one. Um, next, we have episode 007, New York City Hardcore, The Way It Is um, compilation. Yeah, I'm stoked to talk about that record, and hopefully we'll have a guest. Uh, we're trying to line up a guest for this one. So, But if uh, not, there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, I, I mean, me... I think me and bands. you could talk for like two hours about that. We're going <laughs> to yeah. have to like limit it. Rain to, ourselves in. yeah. And we'll talk about all the tracks. Yes, all the tracks, <laughs> even the ones that aren't on streaming. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, uh, again, a uh, bit at bow to Jason Mazzola, uh, the third part of our party here. Bit at bow to Casey Jones. Bit at bow to everyone at Revelation. And bit at bow to everyone who's tuned in, who's reposted. Bit at bow to Conrad. And, uh, man, just fucking keep listening. We got so much good shit coming up. I'm seriously super stoked to be doing this podcast with you, Greg. I text, I just want everyone to know, I text Greg the other day and I told him like, Hey, this podcast wouldn't exist without you. And I fucking appreciate you, man. And I, I love doing this. Show. I love to see your face every week on this zoom call. And likewise. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. Awesome. It's just, you know, this is a lot of fun. Um, you know, and like I said, I do my other podcast, something to do. Uh, and that was fun. And I was like, well, what's more fun than one podcast? Why not do another? Yeah. So I know. Yeah, are, I think but- you inspired me to recreate my vision of doing another podcast on the side too. But for now, I mean, I'm, I'm busy with this. Like I go to, I've been to rev a couple times, you know, editing this stuff is not easy as I found out. And then just us talking all day about ideas and yeah this one's definitely more uh more time consuming for me than uh than something to do <laughs> which which is is cool it's fine but yeah. um you know uh i'm glad to be doing it i'm glad to be doing it with you hav and uh i'm glad that we have all the support and like you said i think we got a lot of cool stuff coming so if you like what you hear you know this is uh, you know, we're doing this, like we said, out of love. So please rate, subscribe, write a review, which I have to say, speaking of reviews, Ooh, yeah. um, we got a really nice review. You want me to read it? 
Um, should we read it? No, I think we should make people go to our Apple podcast page, read it for yourself, and maybe that will inspire you to leave a really nice review for us as well. Because this, I don't, I don't know that it can be topped, but I, I dare anybody to try and top that review that's yes. currently on. Yeah, and on so Apple we won't podcast. even say who it's from. <laughs> yeah. But needless to say, I was in the middle of a work day and I happened to check and uh, it made my day. Yeah. Um, you know what I always say, winners keep score. And to me, that is a, a fucking scoring touchdown for us right there. That's yes. awesome. <laughs> Agreed. So thanks, everybody. Bit of bow. Bit of bow. All right. We'll see you time. next week. Bye.